Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I don't want to waste any time getting into this week's episode. I just want to say at the top of the show that if anything during the conversation that Casey is about to have with Jay Baker uh, interests you, we have links in the show notes, and those are at irenicast.com slash 161. That's irenicast.com slash 161. Also, in the show notes, you'll be able to get all the information you need to find out more about Irenicast. So, without any further ado, I'm going to turn this thing over to Casey, and we hope you enjoy this week's interview with Jay Baker. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are Irenicast. I'm Casey, and today, Rajiv and Jeff and Bonnie and Alan are on assignment. Thank you for joining us for this uh, conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, I am here with Jay Baker. Um, it is such an honor to be with you, Jay. Thank you for your time. We're going to be talking about redemption. But before we jump into that conversation, I would love for you to just sort of tell us about who you are. Well, it's great to be here. And um, I love doing podcasts. It's so much fun. I'm Jay Baker. <laughs> obviously. And I run a church called Revolution and been doing Revolution for about 24 years now. Wow. It started out, yeah, it kind of started out as a punk rock church and hippie church and skateboarder thing. And over, over time, uh, the evolution of Revolution has been probably theology. And our theo- you know, the theology has definitely changed and, 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 and grown quite a bit. I am the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who were very popular, to say the least, televangelists in the 1980s, who had a scandal happen to them in 87, where they lost everything and they were kind of the laughing stock of the world. I mean, the church world and, and the non-church world, you know, Saturday Night Live skits, all that kind of stuff. And so I went through seeing my parents have everything to having nothing. Um, my father uh, ended up doing five years in prison. There's a lot about that. You can Google it <laughs> um, if you're that interested. That That's kind of the, the basis of me. I, I do a lot of different work. I guess I'm probably best known for my work with uh, for LGBTQ rights uh, probably 12 or 13 years ago. But yeah, I, I just do a church called Revolution and we're pretty much online, a podcast that you can listen to anywhere. I was going to say just a church. You have, you said four <laughs> podcasts. I know you have some books, right? I mean, yeah, I've got three books I've, I've released. I'm working on two more right now. Hopefully going to find a publisher soon. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we do, we, I do a lot. I do loosen the Bible belt podcast with a comedian friend of mine, uh, where we've done a lot for LGBTQ rights and trying to create an atmosphere for good discussion and good, good disagreements. I do a meet your congregation because we're mostly online church. Majority of our, 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 our congregation is online and I do the revolution podcast. So that's three, but you know, I'm sure a fourth one will come up soon. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And you're always welcome here. That's for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about your parents and, and their journey. And as we are getting ready to talk about uh, redemption, I wonder how you see your legacy connected to theirs. You have done a lot of amazing work, uh, as you've said, around LGBT issues. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that. It definitely feels like I kind of took off from where they were in probably in the, in the mid-80s. My mom 
did an interview with an uh, openly gay pastor. She also did an interview, um, and this was huge, especially in the 80s, did an interview with uh, a man who's had AIDS. And I mean, I don't think Ronald Reagan had even said the word AIDS yet. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, my parents were always very inclusive and um, very loving. I mean, their theology wasn't perfect by any means. My dad was into the prosperity gospel and he's since gotten out of that. But the core message was always love. I mean, my dad ended every show with God loves you. He really does and all that kind of thing. And so I think they definitely laid a foundation for me to do what I do, um, to have the questions that I have. I'm an autodidact, which is means I'm just self-taught in theology and philosophy. But that grew out of a deep conviction of loving others. And when I saw my family lose everything and go through that, I saw a side of the church that I had not seen before that was just everybody turned on them. They were the butt of jokes at churches even. And so it was one of those things where I saw this huge scapegoating happen to my parents. And people just kind of almost blamed them for everything that was bad in the church. And I saw great hypocrisy. And it took me many years to to come to terms with that um, and kind of seek that out. And especially when I started to discover the message of grace, which is probably my main focus, has always been my main focus, is, the, is grace. I realized that that was missing from the evangelical church. And that's something that needed to be brought back in. And honestly, that's why I stuck. And that's why I'm stuck doing this church that I started when I was, you know, 18 or 19 with a few friends, you know, is because of that message. Even when I've had, you know, uh, dark nights of the soul and, and nights when, and times where I, I don't know if there is a God, the message of grace has continued to push me forward. So when you, when, when you say that, like that, um, the message of grace, what, what does that mean to you? I mean, basically the idea that we are unconditionally loved, that we are accepted for who we are. I mean, we'll, as we talk about redemption, we'll cover some of that. But this idea that, um, I mean, even if you think about, I think it's a verse in Romans where it's either Romans or Corinthians, all fall short of God's standard, but yet God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. You know, this idea that none of us, you know, we're all humans. We all have faults, but we're accepted either despite or because of those things. That's just part of, of being human being. And, and, and so I think that's something that's just driven me is this idea of, you know, everybody's covered by grace. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not who, who you're politically associated with. It's not how healthy you are. I think those are things that I think come later as we evolve in the understandings of grace. But grace is one of those things that's just been complete freedom. And I find that people on both sides are afraid of grace because, you know, progressives are afraid of grace because they're afraid you're not going to help social justice issues. And conservatives are afraid of grace because they think you're going to go out and do whatever you want. And I see grace as a type of anarchy where it doesn't fit into any hierarchy. And uh, I've always been drawn to that. Yeah, that's a powerful message. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's very punk rock and I like that. Yeah, right. Well, and I think that everyone needs grace. You know, we live in a culture now um, with, uh, they call it cancel culture, you know? Yeah. And um, I, 
every uh, something that maybe you don't know is that I work with LGBT teenagers all the time. I have a nonprofit that I've started that cares for queer kids in a very conservative part of California. Very cool. Um, and one of the things that I'm constantly talking to them about is being able to live in tension, right? Li- be able to sit in those awkward moments um, and allow for grace to arrive. When we when we want to cut people out or we just want to throw away people, that doesn't allow for their minds and hearts to be transformed or ours. That's true. I mean, if it wasn't for people like Martin Luther King Jr., I think, you know, he knew how to live in tension completely. You know, I mean, he was sitting down with people who were literally killing his brothers and sisters and eventually even killed him. But that idea of living intention is how we change things. It's when we want to create, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with safe spaces, but I don't think we need to live in them. I think we need to grow in them and learn how to live within tension so we can make changes. I don't think the ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, would be able to be, would be an affirming church had it not been for people who were willing to sit in that church and live in the tension and make the changes and help progress the changes that needed to be made in order for them to be uh, open and affirming. You know, so I'm always grateful for when people are able to live in the tension. Maybe not everybody can, but you know, that's kind of feel like I feel like I was born and raised in the tension. So right. that's where yeah. I kind of live. Yeah, right. How would you identify redemption? Uh, what are characteristics of redemption, and what roles do you think it plays in our faith? Well, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I remember growing up always hearing I've been redeemed in the blood of the lamb. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so triggering. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, right. Well, and I was thinking, it was funny because you sent me, you know, before we had the conversation, you sent me some questions about redemption. I was like, you know, I haven't really thought a lot about redemption. And I mean, redemption, basically the idea of salvation. Um, even grace could fall in redemption. And so the funny thing was, is, you know, instead of getting in my Bible or looking in my lexicon, I did two things. I, I, I typed it into Google and just looked at the, the Webster's Dictionary definition of, of redemption, which I kind of agree with and kind of don't agree with. And then I also just listened to Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Yes. That's actually what I did in preparation for this conversation. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I think Bob Marley caught it pretty well. I mean, I guess at the start, where where did the the get it wrong is because um, redemption talks about in 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 the Webster's dictionary. One of the explanations is that it's a it's um, something that's paid and bought for by someone else and then given to you. Um, I'm not a big atonement theory person. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe that that was their best understanding of when you know why Jesus died. You know, in a sacrificial system, they were going like, well, this is this must be it. And honestly, I don't think it's a bad hypothesis for, for, for them, but you know, for their understanding in the culture and the time. But um, grace, if it's a free gift, there's not a, a transaction. There's not some sort of financial transaction or a blood transaction or anything like that. So as I thought about redemption, you know, I think redemption, and it talked about being you know, set free from sin. Well, then if I think about sin, I think about us being incomplete. And I think sin is more about being incomplete. And I think redemption allows us to live in that incompleteness. It allows us to live 
because nothing completes us. I haven't found anything yet. Um, not religion, not relationships. They might for a small time, um, but they haven't for me. I find that that incompleteness is is alive and well in my unconscious and eventually rises to the top. I think redemption allows us to live with the um, contradictions of life. And I, I honestly don't believe that there can be, a, I don't believe there is life without contradictions. Um, even when we realize it, we still have those contradictions, but I think it's a little bit better to realize that we have those contradictions and see those. But it also allows us to see contradiction in our enemies. And by able to loving our enemies more because we realize I'm full of contradictions. You know, maybe my enemy has some contradictions too. And it allows me to have a little bit more grace for those who might not understand me or not accept me for who I am or for what I believe. Because if I went by like the idea of the traditional thought of redemption, you know, my mother would have never been redeemed. My parents were never redeemed. They never, never like fully restored. But I believe my parents became, uh, especially my mother, became a stronger person for the suffering that she went through. So I think redemption is just learning to live with your brokenness, live with your incompleteness, live with the contradictions of life, and learning to accept those. And Paul Tillich has this great talk where he talks about, it's called You Are Accepted. And just accepting that you're accepted without any hope of changing or knowing more or being better or anything else, you are accepted. You might not even believe more, you know, or even believe at all. Um, but learning to have this acceptance of oneself, of not being whole and complete, you know, because I think that's the thing is we want to sell certainty through religion or completeness through religion or through fashion or through music or things like that. And I think that that's, that's, I think, you know, if if the devil was a real person, that would be the biggest trick the devil ever pulled. Devil ever pulled was making us think that there was some sort of completeness um, on the other side of of uh, religion or faith or anything else. A um, a big fan of your mother's, and I I'm sure she was a big fan of her. Um, mm-hmm. RuPaul, yes, um, oh, often yeah, they, were, they were friends. Often says, um, if you can't love yourself. How in the hell are you going to love anybody else? And so what I hear you saying around redemption is um, redemption starts with a recognition, uh, certainly, of where we've been, but it does not define where we're going. I think for any of us who have been on this faith journey, who have sort of walked away from um, evangelicalism, who had an idea of what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a faithful person, when we walk away, we're left with sort of shambles, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like all of that falls away. And then you're sort of left with this, well, now what? What I would like to draw attention to in this conversation from what you've already said is um, you are good as you are right now. And what you've done in the past, whatever choices you've made or behaviors you had that maybe you regret, maybe it's the way that you you know, um, recently we did an episode on conversion therapy and, uh, some of my co-hosts were talking about being youth pastors and sort of having to acknowledge like that they may have encouraged their young people at that time to seek help and how they regret that, you know? And so I think we all carry the sense of, of, um, regret. Um, but I think redemption allows us to start 
new every day, right? There's that scripture, you are new every morning. And it gives us the freedom to offer ourselves grace and offer others grace. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's the freedom from the pursuit of happiness. You know, I don't have to be happy to be complete or redeemed, you know, but I was told in the church my whole life that that somehow redemption would make me whole and complete and happy. I find myself, you know, a lot of the running I've done from the church having to do with just a bad understanding of theology, bad understanding of redemption and the grace and things like that. And those words being made into something magical that did not live on a human plane. Correct. You know, and you know, if Jesus was the, if Jesus, if you know, Jesus is the son of God and Jesus became, you know, or, son, or God or however you want to look at it, becomes human and, and enters into the human experience and breaks into that with, you know, brokenness and all this stuff, you know, and all the hurt and all the pain. We all obviously know Jesus suffered. And, you know, I think if you read the new, you read the gospels, you'll even realize Jesus was not a perfect person. You know, you, you, you realize is that I think to be human is divine. Right. Yes. You know, and I think that was the divinity of, of Christ is that, you know, why would God become man? So for me, I've, I've, found a lot of freedom in that. You know, I went through a really bad divorce this past year. It's my second marriage. Um, I have two kids from this marriage and I've never felt such pain in my life. I've never gone through such mental, I've never had, I had a mental breakdown and I've never experienced anything like that before. And I've had to realize like, you know, I was sold a bill of goods my whole life. You know, I mean, there were times where I would be in my shower just crying out to Jesus saying like, just show up. What the hell? You know, I thought things were supposed to be okay. I thought you were supposed to be here, you know? And for me, it was one of those things where I had to realize is that all this pain and suffering is creating me into a new human being who's actually comfortable being who I am even more and allowing me to accept myself for who I am despite what others may think or say. And I had to go through that. And um, I don't want to, but that's kind of living life on life's terms. And I think we're just always looking for an easy out or an escape or something like that. And I think it's kind of an American idea, especially. And we've just added it to faith and religion and just been like, it's the easy way out. But what do we say when people are suffering and alone and have no hope? You know, oh, it's going to get better. Well, I mean, yeah, time does help heal a multitude of wounds and sins. But who you are, if you really work through stuff and go through it, you become a, a different person. And I think we're often sold this idea that, you know, well, just deny it, you know, just move on. And um, if you just move on and jump into another relationship or cover it with other things, you know, or looking for the sacred object that will complete you, you end up hurting yourself. And like I said before, it's like, you know, your pain just waits for you. Yeah, that's right. I think that there's something really true about this, um, the process of, of grieving, right? Or of, of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who is in parish ministry, I sit with people all the time who are in the throes of grief. You know, they've lost someone they love. You know, um, uh, I just recently had a member die and her husband, you know, they've been together for 53 years and, and to just sort of sit with him and to say, Nobody is asking you to be better tomorrow, you know. Yeah. Um, 
you know, on Sunday I brought him food and he he was like, Oh, I should have been in church. And I was like, the hell you should be in church. <laughs> you know, right. one of the things that um, the prophet Bob Marley says in that redemption songs is all I've ever had are redemption songs. And so I think that life is um, a continuous unfolding of redemption. It's like, we just continue to experience these these crazy ass moments and they are they are continuing to refine us give it's not a willed meaning right we get to make that meaning but it's it feels like when bob marley is saying all i've ever had is redemption songs it's like out of these these moments of suffering and strife i continue to see myself being more refined what would you what what do you feel about that well i mean i think you're right i mean i don't believe in a literal hell but I do believe that going through the hell that I did with the past past year was was refining. You know, it burnt off a lot of me, my tendency to want to be a people pleaser, and you know, my fear of conflict. You know, funny that I would have a fear of conflict when I've done so much crazy work, but I had it on a personal level. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 gone off. That's gone for the most part. You know, and for me, that's a purifying level, and that that's like the fires of hell purif- purifying you in a way. You know, um, Mike Ness has uh, in one of his songs from Social Distortion, he goes, "You know, there's got to be a heaven because I've already done my time in hell." And I was always, you know, taught when I was a kid that the hell's fire was purifying. Some for some reason, I don't know why I heard that growing up, but um, you know, when we go through hell here, we do we purify, we become something else and someone else. And we're able to hold on to those things that are important to us, but we're also able to change and see things and learn new things and, you know, become a new, I don't want to say new creation, but a new person, you know, a new human. Yeah, indeed. I know that you have shared publicly on Instagram. You have a great Instagram, by the way. I actually love following you on Instagram. Um, I love, I have an Instagram addiction. So, yes. (laughs) Yeah, um, thank you. You've, you've thank you shared, for affirming you, my addiction. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do that. You know, all those synapses in your brain that are being fired because uh, <laughs> you're getting those accolades. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've talked about your own struggle with depression. I also struggle with depression and anxiety, and I wonder about you know, um, in relationship to faith and mental illness and redemption, what does that look like? Sometimes it's just hard for me to get out of bed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I mean, sometimes I feel like I've had a successful day if I've taken a shower, you know. Um, what does redemption look like in mental health? I mean, for me, it's doing the work, you know. I mean, uh, to understand philosophy a little a little bit that I do, um, you know, I was always asking my buddy Pete, like, oh, what's a good book? Like, I wanted a book to explain it to me, you know. And he kept giving me books and recommending more books. I'm like, damn it, Pete, just, you know, dummy's guide to philosophy. That's all I need, (laughs) you know, and I'll have it down. And he's like, no, he's like, you have to put in the work. And we were talking recently and I was like, well, I understand this. Why can't they understand it? And he's like, because Jay, you spent the past few years and especially this past year putting in the work and reading the hard stuff, Yeah, you know, and with therapy and my mental health is what I've realized is I've went to good doctors, got my medications straightened out. I did some really hard therapy. I mean, I don't like ECT. It was electric shock therapy. It was one of the toughest things I'd ever done and really 
felt dehumanizing in some ways, but it also really helped me. I have done EMDR, uh, and I've also done dialectic behavioral therapy. And I had to spend years, I've spent a couple of years in dialectic behavioral therapy, and it's really helped. And now I'm ready to move on to doing some psychoanalysis, you know. Um, so I've seen redemption there. I've seen to the point where one of my therapists is like, oh, I'm ready for you to, you know, not see me anymore because you're doing a great job. But it's been putting in the hard work, you know, and um, and being grateful that I've been able to have insurance to do that, you know, because that's a reality in this country too. You know, I just lost insurance and I had to get on what some people call Obamacare just recently in order to continue to do my my therapy. But, you know, I, I think therapy plays a big role in that, in that learning to, you know, who you are. You know, I've, I read, I, I think understanding the unconscious is, is helpful. I've read some Freud and that's been very helpful, but you know, it takes time and giving yourself that time to do that. That's where that self-acceptance is important is being able to sit in your suffering and having a few good friends is, has been, has been life-changing for me, you know, cause I had a lot of people who told me to quit and give up who were friends, but I also had another friend who said, it doesn't matter. I'm like, well, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. It doesn't matter, Jay. Your work on grace is amazing. Continue to move forward and 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 share your your art, your work with other people. And I held on to that little bit of hope, even when I was hopeless, and just continued to work. I mean, there were times where I'd show up to church and go like, hey, can we all just have a conversation today? Because I'm so depressed. I don't have anything to talk to you about. And we did. We just talked. You know, so I don't know. I, I think being transparent with others too. You find out who your friends are really when you go through that. You find out who really loves you um, when you go through that. And not that everybody who rejects you doesn't love you because there are some people who just don't know how to deal with mental health, you know, and it frightens them. Yeah, that's right. I think there's something really powerful about being a vulnerable leader. I mean, I definitely think there's something you should, you know, you should never bleed on the people around you, right? Like, um, but, but don't, don't tell my congregation that because I think some of them are covered in my blood. (laughs) (laughs) But there is something important about, you know, um, showing up in a way that allows your congregation to, to, to meet that energy. If, if you cannot model vulnerability and authenticity, then you're setting your congregation up or the community, whatever community you're a part of, to live inauthentically with each other. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm a part of, you know, revolution is doesn't, we don't have a denomination. We're not a part of a, a, bo- a bigger body. And so, I mean, I tried to take my own life a little bit over a year ago and within a few weeks was back speaking to people, you know, cause I didn't have the choice to take time off or have my, you know, assistant pastor call somebody from the denomination and ask them to cover for me. You know, I had to go back to work. And, um, but the best thing I could do is be as transparent as possible with the congregation. So, I mean, that's why I jokingly say there's some, probably some blood on some of my folks, but you know, I've also met a lot of people who just started listening this past year and, and, and said what, it, and what it, what a difference the church has made in their life and my messages have made in their life. And for me, that's kind of, I'm like always shocked because I'm like, man, I've been through hell this past year. I, I didn't feel like I was giving anything. It's strange with, to hear responses of what people say when they just hear your heart or hear your pain or your suffering. 
it's been a really beautiful experience to see that that this type of thing even works when you're in your darkest hour and that you're still able to do your art and sometimes do the best art you've ever done. All we've ever known is redemption songs. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that um, you were talking about earlier that I wanted to tap back to before we move on is um, this idea of self. I think that one of the things that evangelicals really struggle with is a sense of self. Because for many of them, they were told to have this sort of uh, fake humility, right? If you were, don't Mm -hmm. be prideful. That's what we were told. Don't be prideful. And so anything good that could come uh, from you, you gave credit to God. And any bad thing you ever did was the devil made you do it, right? It was the devil's fault. And so so I think one of the biggest transitions that those leaving the evangelical church have to come to grips with is who are you? Uh, Finding that self. So I just wondered your thoughts about that. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I felt like most of my life, I felt like I was a piece of shit yeah. and, <laughs> and, and the church taught me that I learned a lot of that in the church. Then I went out into the more progressive thinking church, you know, um, and, and then I started to say, well, then your worth is found in how many good books you've read or how smart you are or how education you have so then again i felt like a piece you know so i i kind of had to get to a point where i've just accepted me personally for who i am and who i've become and to find some pride even in that you know yeah i mean i mean hearing how you know horrible we were how bad we were supposed to be and then if you go take that into like people who've gone through like more of a even Calvinist view of that, it even gets even worse because you just think you're just, you know, even a worse piece of shit. I was, I grew up Assemblies of God, so we weren't Calvinist. We are free will. So that played into a different dynamic. But still, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I think, you know, that whole idea of, of hating yourself or hating the flesh and hating all that stuff is, is misunderstood. It's greatly misunderstood. And uh, I think we, the church just created a new law, new works, and a new type of flesh that they became dependent on, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's shift gears here. Yeah, love to. A primary focus of evangelical Christianity and the prosperity gospel has been personal redemption. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, At the same time, it helped empower a political and cultural movement that denied the right of women, people of color, the LGBT community. How have you seen people seek reparations for the damage they have done? Or what can those of us who have done harm do? Um, It's a strange thing going back to my history. You know, I mean, I was 11 years old when my parents lost everything. But I was really lucky to be a part of a church at that time and a little bit later, another church where it was pretty inclusive. It didn't really have to deal with what the color of your skin was or if you were a woman. I mean, you know, our church, we allowed women to preach and were equals. Look at me finding good things in the assemblies. Um, (laughs) and, And I knew, you know, I'm sure the LGBT thing was not acceptable at the time. 
Um, still is not. Still is not. Yeah, still is not in assemblies, definitely. But it was one of those things at the time where I was, I saw more inclusion, and I saw my pe- my parents loving people. So I'm really lucky to be uh, in that grow- grown up seeing that, and then later to be a part of uh, another church that was the, the called the Cathedral of the Holy Spirit, which had its own issues, but you know it was very inclusive. So I was lucky to see some of that as well. As far as repar- reparations, you know, how, how I've not seen a whole lot of people get that. I've seen people fight for inclusion and get inclusion. But sometimes, you know, I think the idea of grace too, and this is a tough one to swallow, especially as I'm the white male sitting here, you know, heterosexual white male is saying that sometimes we just have to let go of what we've lost and look to the future. And maybe that's where redemption comes in you know we always we don't no one gets what they deserve look at wealthy rich people you know do they look like they deserve it <laughs> you know and look at the poorest of poor people do they look like they deserve it you know to get what they deserve um i think we we want to be paid back and i think grace says i don't have to be paid back grace says i i will move forward and for so many people, they don't realize how better they are off with the fact that they aren't paid back or that the fact that they have suffered because they've become models for others to live. You know, I look at people like Lawrence, our friend Lawrence, who is a uh, transgender black man and everything he's been through and he is probably the most Christ-like pastor I know. When Absolutely. I see Lawrence, I don't see African-American. I don't see uh, transgender. I see someone I connect with on such a human level and gives me so much hope. And now, now those things are definitely part of his story, and I recognize that. But me and him connect over shared suffering and shared pain. Not the same pain, but pain being the great equalizer and it's really transformed my life having uh, a relationship with lawrence and uh, made me a better person and continue to remind me that we all have suffering in common it might not be from the same things but learning to live in that suffering and i would say lawrence deserves a lot more than what he's got but because he doesn't have it he is who he is and I don't think he would trade that. And I, I wouldn't trade it for my friendship with Lawrence at all. And, 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 and the ministry that Lawrence and pa- has pastored in my life. You know, I would like to see people get what they deserve. But it's just not my, business, my experience as a human being to see that that's what happens, unfortunately. But I've seen a lot of great people come out of, out of, out of that better people because of it. Right. I think that's a slippery slope, though, because we could say, you know, um, you know, I mean, this is this is the old argument of, you know, um, you suffer and, uh, you know, just stay suffering and eventually it'll get better. Right. And so I think there is a sense in which, you know, we we are called to to acknowledge the pain of the past and ideally, as you've said, move forward from it. But it's only until we can articulate those things that that 
caused that pain and ask people to to confront the systems that put them there in the first place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but that's what you're asking people to do is fight. You're saying stand up and make a difference. You're not asking for reformation. What's the word? I'm sorry. Um, Uh, Reparation. Reparation. That's not reparation. That's going into the fight. Hmm. You know, that's going in and saying, go and, you know, accept what you've been through, go through that and change it, you know, and help other people realize what you've been going through. You know, Um, that's, that's a different. I, I mean, that's why I'm pushing back a little bit is because I think that's a different call. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about asking people to, you know, yeah, I want people to learn from their pain and accept their pain and, 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 and change people. So I would agree with you there. Um, but when you ask somebody to go into a fight, that's not them getting what they deserve because probably what they deserve is a nice place to live, a good job, you know, some sort of like security, you know, and, and being given back what they've lost. And I just, I, this is why I'm not always, that's why I'm not always consider myself a progressive is because I think we have a, a progressive idea is that, you know, we're going to somehow get everybody back what they deserve and everybody's going to be taken care of. And I want that, but that's just not the world I live in. I would love to have wholeness and completeness out of my life and get back things that I've lost. But unfortunately, those things are gone. You know, that time has passed. And so I'm not saying stay in your pain. I'm saying, you know, maybe the greatest gift is, is that we do learn how to live with our pain and to allow that pain to evolve into character and, uh, and give us the strength to help other people and love other people to find their, you know, find compl- some sort of not wholeness, but some sort of peace in their life. You know, that peace that passes all understanding, there's a reason it passes understanding is because it's not a million dollars. You know, that would be understandable. You know, but a piece that says, hey, you know, I've learned to accept that I'm accepted and learn to live life on life's terms. And I think everybody suffers on different levels. You know, if we were in a third world country, we would definitely be suffering in a completely different way than we do now. You know, our mental health or certain things in our life might not be be that important. I think someone who's starving in another country and hungry or dying of diseases where they can't get help would look at Twitter and be like, and see how we talk about the president and the politics and the cancel culture. And they would just laugh and think it was ridiculous how easy we scapegoat one another in pol- political issues. You know, I think that's, I think we major in, in some really weird stuff in this country. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder about like, you know, um, I recently, I read that you had met with Joel Osteen and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Like in terms of, um, talking to him about LGBT issues. But I think that that's, in a sense, some of what I'm getting at, like the courage to have the conversation and see if people are able to acknowledge where they've been and try to work for something better. Like when we talk about these uh, prosperity gospel churches that have millions and millions of dollars, um, instead of keeping it and building, you know, like I'm in a community where worship is like 30,000 people on a Sunday morning, you know? Um, and what are they doing for the community? Well, they're making sure that queer history is not being taught. They are um, policing, uh, they're hiring private police. I mean, not in, in my community, but there are other evangelical churches, you know, a few hours from here who are paying to hire police. Um, oh, no, I mean, I was raised I, with bodyguards. I get it. You know, so what I wonder about is like, um, where, you know, if, uh, where can we, um, 
invite people to acknowledge their wrongs and invite them to spend their money better <laughs> or or to or to invest in communities that they have robbed um yeah. or a, i mean yeah no i agree but one of the things we have to do is we have to stop scapegoating each other and canceling one another and vilifying one another because what we want to it's really easy to say like these people are bad and these people are good I do not believe that one person is completely good or one police person is completely bad. I think that's a dangerous way of thinking, and I think it leads to scapegoating, and then we don't have to take any responsibility for our own actions and our own self. Um, so what we have to do is we have to learn to argue well. We have to learn how to build a community where we all don't agree with one another. But that also means sacrificing some of our desires and some of our wants and saying, you know, well, I might not be recognized for this or this or this, you know, because if I'm going to sit down at the table with them, and that's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. He sat down with people who did not recognize his humanity because he was a black man. And that's hard to ask people to do, especially in this culture, especially, you know, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to go where I'm not recognized and not accepted. And a part of me goes like, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? And that church has every right not to recognize or accept you. So you know what? Ignore them. Or if you want to see them change, then we've got to, you know, we're going to have to practice nonviolence, which is also of the tongue, is of the heart, and all this stuff, and requires a lot of self-sacrifice. So asking people to go in and make these changes and confront these churches requires asking people to give up more, to, to, to you know, Unless they just want to like throw a firebomb through the window, you know, <laughs> otherwise you've got to make sacrifices to have these conversations. You know, we have to give up the, the need to always be perfect or right or complete. You know, we have to recognize the contradictions within our own self and within them, because we have to realize that some of these people are really good. Like I, I see people sending out tweets about like, people have told me to stop loving my family members because they're Trump supporters. But my dad was the only one who would take care of my children when I had to go do, you know, go to work or do this. And how do I write him out of my life when he showed me love in that area? Because what they realize is it's not this like good or bad, you know, it's just people are people. And, you know, there's probably a reason that he voted for Trump and believed in Trump. But there's also a reason why he's compassionate enough to take care of his daughter's kids and help her through a hard time and do all this stuff. And with this kind of internet, you know, social media culture, it's just easy to say, well, I'm going to write them off. And it's just not that easy. You know, so when we, when we want to have hard conversations, you know, we also have to not only speak, but we have to shut up and listen and also look at their stories too. We want everybody to listen to our story, but are we willing to listen to their story? And I think uh, back to Martin Luther King Jr. Again, I think he had a great way of looking at people is he's saying, they're not the enemies. The, the information is the enemies. And they are actually victims of misinformation and going in with that idea of going like, this person is not my enemy. More or less, these people are victims just as much as I'm a victim. And they just never got out or they never got disillusioned. And what would you rather be? Would you rather be the person who's in the million dollar church who has, you know, was never set free from those thoughts and never let go? Or would you rather be the person you are now who's at least free and living your life and doing that? You know, so there's a price that comes with enlightenment. There's a price that comes with being a radical. You know, there's a price that comes with those, that thinking, um, you know, and, 
you know, I, that's what I was liked about punk rock is because, it, and, and what I like about anarchy, I, they all both have holes in them. But the idea is that, you know, I don't need to be the head person. I don't need to be part of the status quo. You know, I'm going to live my life. And so it's like, you know, we want the status quo to recognize us, but at the same time, we don't want to be part of them. And then here's another problem is when people do change, um, who was the guy who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye. Do you know what his name was? No, I don't (laughs) No. Well, he recently came out and denounced that book. Yeah. And, you know, he said, you know, he made a mistake and all that. He wasn't really a believer or anything anymore. And the most people I saw online were angry at him. So, you know, is the goal to change people, but then when people change, we don't accept it? I mean, isn't that the same thing the church has always done? You know, um, it may actually, the church actually might be better accepting people when they change and they ask for forgiveness than we are. The conservative church might be better than that than progressives are, to be honest with you. And so that's unfortunate, but what can we learn from that? How to be better forgivers. That's, there's a dialectic at work here, you know, and I, I don't like, I don't think it's easy, but this is what happens when you start to think about this stuff and process it and look it over and go like, it's just not, it's just not a dualistic way. You just can't have this dualistic way of thinking. It's just not a black and white thought. You know, it would just be much easier if it was, but it's just not, it's, it is complicated. You know, we're all complicated people with different stories and different things that are happening in our unconscious and different experiences. And I'm not saying that that lets them off. You know, I, I'm obviously still going to go talk to churches about being, you know, inclusive and open and affirming, but I'm just saying, you know, think through this stuff. We have to think through it, you know, in order to recognize each other's humanity. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to have the conversation. You know, if I come into a church with like Joel Olstein and be like, well, you're just a closed-minded asshole and you're bigoted and you're wrong, you know, what's he going to say to me? Could you please leave? But instead I have to say like, you know, I get, you know, can we go over the scriptures together? You know, what are the verses that concern you? What, why are, why do you still feel that this is an important issue? Why do you still think it's, you know, being LGBTQ is a sin, you know, enough to, you know, not include people or say it's not God's best, you know, can you show that to me? And can we talk about these verses? You know, when I met with Olstein, he's like, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? So I had to sit down and show him that that was about hospitality and not about being gay or lesbian. And here's one of the biggest pastors in the world. And I'm explaining Sodom and Gomorrah to him. And I'm a high school dropout, you know? But that was the thing is we had to be able to willing to sit down and have a conversation, you know, and he had other people with him who were very hostile towards me, but me and him had a connection in the conversation. Now, did I leave? And he go like, oh, we're an affirming church. No, because it's way more complicated than that. He had people who are like, we'll never be an affirming church. We'll never be this, who are people that make big decisions. I think he has a lot of people who make decisions for him. Did I think he wanted to become an affirming church and an inclusive church? I'll be honest with you, yes. I really feel like if it was up to him, they would be. And I don't think that guy's perfect. I mean, that guy's got a lot of bad theology. He also has a, some really good theology on grace. I, I, one sermon I heard him give on grace, I was like, and this must have been 15, 20 years ago. And I was just like, mind blown by his, his concept of grace. But, um, you know, but then he goes back into prosperity gospel and being happy and, you know, selling all that stuff. But, um, but I saw somebody who was like, yeah, I really want to love gay people. It was almost like the people who are like, you know, 
well, you know, you're going to go to hell. I'm sorry. I didn't make the rules. You know what I mean? It was just like, they want more out of God, but they don't believe God is, is that good or that the concept of grace is too good to be true. And so they just temper it, you know? I'm sorry to go on a rant like that. It's just, I think a lot. I think way too much. You know, my my experience recently also with the evangelicals in this community is um, that they're just unsure of what to do with queer people, you know? They know uh, they know that we are not going anywhere, right? <laughs> we know that um, fortunately we, for now, live in a society where we can be out and open and in most places safe. And they don't know what to do with that. Um, and they're held to these, these misunderstandings of scripture, right? I mean, this and misunderstandings and, and cultural, you know, in church culture. A lot of times when I talk to young people um, and they tell me about their parents and the grief that their parents have for them coming out, I often will share with them um, that I think it's, it's not that they don't love you. You know, but if they are in an evangelical church, their biggest fear is to lose the community. Growing up evangelical, the message is you stay in your tribe, you stay in your camp, you know, you, you worship together, you, you go to each other's holiday parties, you have no friends outside of this community. And so for a young person to step out and speak their truth, um, it puts their parents at risk of losing their entire social network. Yeah. And I mean, and what causes, you know, we have to look at the, what is the cause that someone that our teachings would cause parents to choose a community over their own blood, over their own family, over their own kids? I mean, what's the dynamic there? What's at play there? What, what is the underlined insecurities and, in, and, in, in the manipulation that we've caused to say like, oh, you know, this community is more important than your family, you know? Or God is more important than, you know, your children, you know. Right. I mean, when we talk about, I mean, all of these things, but especially when we talk about the church that says we are the, you know, we are pro-family. And they they are the first to throw their children out. They're the first to say that these children locked away in cages on our southern border. You know, it's just like, it. it's concerning to me. You cannot be the part. You cannot be the 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 ones preaching pro family, and are also the ones that are saying there's a caveat to that, right? It's like being pro life and pro gun, or pro death penalty. You know, you just go like, this makes no sense. You know, use another word, <laughs> right? At least, um, I feel like the evangelical evangelical church and most churches in this country are dying, and I think that might be a good thing. Yep. I mean, kind of my hope is that they'll die so much that they'll have to start to come together with other churches and maybe have tough conversations and start to change their ways of thinking. But I think it's going to require all of us being willing to have the conversation that we're having right now, you know, but willing to be in an unsafe place and being willing to be triggered and be willing to, you know, be even bullied a little bit to go into these places and have these conversations to make these changes. But you have to decide, is this the change I want to make? Or do we just want to say, you know what? I'm not going to fight this church anymore. I'm just going to go do my own church. I'm just going to go do my own thing. Me, I'm all about changing the other church. 
Like I have my own church, <laughs> but I'm still about trying to get you to do better. Um, cause I still have hope for the church. You know, I still have hope that the church can become better and that it can change. But, uh, you know, and I'm worried about the kids coming up in that church. You know what I mean? And I worry about the queer kids growing up in that church. And I worry about the, you know, those kids. And that's why I want to go in there. That's why I want to go to those places and have those conversations. Because like me, I don't force my kids to go to church. You know, I, I usually ask their mom to watch them when I have them on the weekend of church. Because I don't want them to feel like, I don't want to brainwash them even to my type of theology. I want them to have those free choices. But a lot of kids don't have that, you know, and so that's probably the reason why I would still want to see the church change. But I guess what I'm trying to say is not everybody has to go to the fight if they don't want to. And I've just seen lately a lot of people who feel very hurt and very ostracized and might not be ready for the fight or just don't have the tools that it takes and they need to heal. And so, you know, take your time, you know, heal and and, and get better, you know, and maybe eventually you'll be ready to go do that stuff. You know, you don't have to become radical overnight, you know, because so many people are just so hurt and so feel so ostracized and so completely diminished by the church that, yeah, maybe the safest thing they can do is take some time away from it. Right. Um, We are not the sum of our pain, right? And I think that that's sort of uh, a really important message. Like nobody's asking you to go back and fight if that's going to be unsafe for you. But if you want to see the world change, it's going to require all hands on deck. I was just texting this morning with one of my deacons who was talking about how she serves uh, the homeless in her community. And that, you know, many of them, uh, she's African American, many of them she's serving food to are wearing Make America Great Again hats. <laughs> um, yeah, and, that's, and it's that's hard. pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for her to, uh, to do it. But she says, you know, pastor, this is my attempt to put good in the world where, where there is so much hate and pain and to sit, to sit in the tension and to, to serve hungry people. Um, and to know that, that, that they may not do the same for me is the best thing I can do. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, think about how many families are getting ready. To, I mean, how many people are ready to be around their, I mean, the holiday season is such a tough time. I used to really give grief to sometimes I felt like unnecessarily gave grief to people like, Oh, I'm going to stay in here and stay in the denomination and change it. And I'd be like, you need to leave, you know? Um, but now I have way more respect for people who are able to stay in that type of situation and be that little bit of hope and that little bit of, um, that little rub, you know what I mean? That little friction in the cog, because where would we be without people like that? It's hard because you're going to be like, you know, well, are you compromising? And uh, I've always had a hard time, you know, like people who attend churches that aren't affirming, you know. I'm always like, well, would you church, go to a church that was whites only? But I guess you have to be know what your purpose is to be there. Well, uh, Jay, thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah, that was really deep, man. That was a... Uh... You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I uh, Do you have any final thoughts as we close out about redemption or anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation? I would like to add is, is, is go easy on yourself. Take time. You know, I'm not an expert on any of this. So, you know, I'll take what you like and leave the rest. Take time with yourself and uh, learn to love yourself, you know. And if you want to love others, you know, that takes time. People are hard to love. 
you know, and it feels like in this world, most people don't give a damn. So if you want to give a damn, that's a good place to start one step forward and, you know, every now and then two steps back, but, you know, know that you are where you're supposed to be. You're accepted the way you are and, 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 and learn to love yourself. And, and, and hopefully that through that, you'll be able to love others more and be more compassionate. And, you know, every ounce of hell I've been through so far in my life, I mean, I'm very grateful that I failed at killing myself because honestly, there would be no more me. But everything I've learned through the hardship, hardships and pain and this desperation to the point of not wanting to live anymore, getting through that has allowed me to become a better person and appreciate my work more and to think about these issues and, and, and people in, in very different ways and actually become more inclusive of my enemies and loving them even more and uh, I think has made me a better person. I hope it has. So I guess just don't give up, you know? Don't let those thoughts that tell you tell you to give up. Don't give up. Just keep walking forward. I know it might feel like hell, and it might might this might sound like a cliche, but don't give up because I think there's there's always life will ebb and flow. It's like waves, but I think eventually life, uh, not eventually, but at times life will be worth living. Yeah. So um, to all of you listening, uh, may redemption songs ring in your ears and your heart. Amen. May you know that you are good, you are whole in this moment, right? Just as you are right now. And uh, again, thank you very much. Let us know what you think. To add your voice to this particular conversation, comment on the show notes at irenacast.com. Also on the show notes, you'll find relevant links and complete list of all other ways to like, follow, uh, and contact the show. That will do it for us this week. If you have found value in the show and you would like to support support us, you can check us out at irenacast.com slash support. There you will find all the ways you can support the show, including through PayPal, Amazon, and checking out our Irenacast merch. Uh, Jay, you totally should check out our Irenacast merch. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, please leave us a rating and or review. We are always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Casey. Thanks for joining the conversation. 